episode 106 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about General Michael Flynn. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as vote by mail, political blasphemy and heresy, the outrage culture, Abraham Lincoln, or socialism in America comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean.com. The video version of the podcast are available on bitshoot.com, brighteon.com, and thinkspot. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. One of the things that I've been told that I'm good at is making the complicated understandable and making the mundane meaningful. I think the case against President Trump's former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, fits this description to a T. Now, the reason I describe this as mundane is these types of stories, those that drag on for years, rarely garner the attention they deserve. The public loses interest and pays scant attention. Then, when the story reemerges, all the general public hears is the teacher from Charlie Brown. Wah, wah, Michael Flynn. Wah, wah, Papadopoulos. Russian ambassador Kislyak. Wah, wah, FBI, DOJ. Wah, wah, perjury trap, Trump. Wah, wah, unmasking, 302 report. Wah, wah, the Logan Act. Comey's memo. Wah, wah, Peter Strzok. Pled guilty. Sydney Powell, wah, wah, exculpatory evidence, wah, wah, the charges are dropped. This story is complicated for any number of reasons. First, the case demonstrates how corrupt and deranged the FBI has become, along with some of the lawyers at the Department of Justice. If you cross the wrong people like Flynn did, these people will ruin your life without a moment's hesitation. It also demonstrates how liberal privilege protects high-level Democrats and liberals from prosecution. It demonstrates how when a story no longer serves the National Democrats' agenda, the corporate press obligingly drops it like a hot potato. And finally, it demonstrates that there is a negative correlation between the number of co-conspirators and the chances of keeping a lie alive and hiding the truth. So here's the backstory. Flynn pled guilty in December 2017 of lying to the FBI about his conversations with former Russian ambassador to the U.S., Sergei Kislyak, during the presidential transition following the 2016 U.S. election. Three years later, he withdrew his plea after securing new legal counsel, Sidney Powell. She was able to secure evidence that revealed the FBI had laid a perjury trap for Flynn. The FBI officially opened an investigation on Flynn on August 16, 2016, based on a suspicion that he, quote, may wittingly or unwittingly be involved in activity on behalf of the Russian Federation, which may constitute a federal crime or threat to the national security, end quote. So in other words, the FBI went fishing. What activity, you ask? Well, you remember the Mueller faux Russian collusion investigation? Yeah, that two-year bogus waste-of-time investigation. So for those of you who have not paid attention to that story, this is where the Australian government comes in, and it's then-ambassador to the UK, Alexander Downer, who spoke to Trump campaign aide George Papadopoulos, 
who suggested that the campaign had received some kind of suggestion that the Russians had some anonymously sourced information about Trump's opponent, Hillary Clinton. That lame piece of hearsay was used by the FBI to open an investigation on four individuals supposedly linked to Russia. Because Flynn had paid speaking engagements in the years past with Russian companies, the FBI decided to open a counterintelligence investigation on him. And for those of you who are wondering who the hell is Michael Flynn, I will let General John Mollahan explain that in two sentences pulled from Flynn's 2007 performance review. Quote, Michael Flynn's impact on the nation's war on terror probably trumps any other single person, end quote. Mulholland went on to write, Flynn is, quote, easily the best intelligence professional of any service serving today, end quote. He also served as Obama's director of defense intelligence agency, serving for two years, from 2012 to 2014. Two years later, he served as an advisor to the Trump campaign and was eventually hired as his national security advisor. So what really got Flynn on the shit list or hit list? Well, see, he didn't worship at the altar of Barack Obama. Bet you didn't know that this whole ridiculous corrupt episode started at the desk of our former president. Of course you wouldn't know that if you consume the corporate press's dribble. Flynn's current attorney, Sidney Powell, laid out the Flynn railroading this way, quote, The whole thing was orchestrated and set up within the FBI, Clapper, Brennan, and in the Oval Office meeting that day with President Obama, end quote. So let me take a minute to introduce some of the players here. Clapper is the former director of national intelligence, James Clapper. Brennan is the former CIA director, John Brennan. He's the guy who perjured himself in congressional testimony about the NSA spying. Then he landed a job at MSNBC where he pounds the never-Trump table basically on a daily basis. Back to Powell. When asked if she thinks Flynn was the victim of a plot that extended to Obama, she said, quote, absolutely. Now, you don't have to take Flynn's attorney word for this. When 53 transcripts of interviews conducted in the early days of the Russian collusion investigation were released, former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates told the committee that it was Obama himself who told her about Flynn's phone calls with the Russian ambassador. Oh, but according to the corporate press, there's nothing to see here. Flynn was driven out of his post in 2014 after he repeatedly embarrassed Obama by insisting, contrary to the administration's official stance, that a resurgence of Islamic terrorism in the Middle East was imminent. He exposed the fact that Obama's CIA was arming and training ISIS and al-Qaeda and their allied jihad fighters in Jordan and Libya. Do you remember Benghazi? Then our military was being sent to die fighting against these same people. See how complicated this gets? See how all this shit is connected? We also found out from Powell that Flynn planned to audit the intel agencies because he knew about the off-the-books training. Remember all the murdered Christians in Syria? Remember all the dead Iraqis at the hands of these U.S.-trained fighters? What was Obama to do when he saw Trump hire Flynn as an advisor? He had to stop Flynn, so the investigation begins. The Steele dossier, Mueller's corrupt foe, Russian collusion investigation culminating in the impeachment of Trump. All in an effort to silence Flynn and protect Obama's ass. Oh, and two months after Flynn's resignation, the rise of ISIS proved him right and Obama wrong. Of course, you probably already knew that given Obama's abysmal foreign policy record. So as you might assume, the calls of Russian Ambassador Kislyak were regularly under surveillance. Nothing unusual there. 
Since Flynn was the incoming NSA, Kislyak had several conversations with them. In these situations where a foreign national is being surveilled, any time they come in contact with an American, the names of the Americans are masked or redacted in the foreign intelligence reports. Many senior government officials have the authority to ask for names to be unmasked for various reasons, such as in order to understand the intelligence. What makes the Flynn case so interesting and absolutely corrupt is that dozens of unmasking requests for reports related to him flooded in between November of 2016 and January of 2017. I wonder why there was so much interest. FBI Director James Comey testified to Congress that it was then-Director of National Intelligence James Clapper who briefed Obama on the Flynn-Kislyak calls. Clapper, however, denied this to Congress. The handwritten notes from former FBI agent Peter Strzok, which were first disclosed in a federal court filing, show President Obama himself personally directed former FBI Director Comey and former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates to investigate Flynn for having routine phone calls with a Russian counterpart. Obama's National Security Advisor Susan Rice memorialized a January 5, 2017 meeting with Obama, Comey, and then-Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates. Rice wrote in an email to herself that Obama asked Comey whether he, would, he should withhold any Russian-related information from the incoming administration, and from Flynn in particular. Comey replied with one word, potentially. Rice's memo itself is a little unusual. She emailed it to herself more than two weeks after the meeting took place, on the day of Trump's inauguration. Looks like someone was covering their ass. On January 4th, the FBI was already in the process of closing Flynn's case, but the Bureau's counterintelligence operations head at the time, the infamous Peter Strzok, scrambled to keep it open, noting that, quote, seventh floor, meaning the FBI's top leadership, was involved. When I call him infamous, it's because he's the dude who sent thousands of anti-Trump texts to his mistress, Lisa Page, and brought the biased nature of the FBI and the DOJ into the limelight during the whole Russian collusion fiasco. Then, Comey testified that he authorized the Flynn case to be closed at the end of December, beginning of January. But his then-deputy, Andrew McCabe, told Congress that they weren't in the closing planning phases at that time. Quote, I don't think a closure should have been soon, he said. See what I mean by the negative correlation between the number of co-conspirators and the chances of keeping a lie alive and hiding the truth? It gets better. Strzok's notes reveal Obama directed the Flynn investigation, and get this, Joe Biden was the one to raise the Logan Act violation, something Biden has denied. FBI documents and Comey's testimony indicate that the Bureau kept the Flynn case open solely based on the legal theory that he may have violated the Logan Act. Now keep in mind that no one has ever been successfully prosecuted for a Logan Act violation, and the government last tried it in 1852. 1852. That's how desperate these power-hungry, corrupt Democrats are. By the way, the Logan Act prohibits private citizens from engaging in diplomacy on their own with the countries the United States is in dispute with. You know, like the shit John Kerry has been doing with Iran for the last three years. Critics of the law say questions have been raised as to whether the law would pass today's constitutional scrutiny, which places greater emphasis on First Amendment protections. But also, there's no indication the law was conceived to apply to a president-elect's incoming top advisor. 
when I read that sentence in whatever article I read it in, the two words constitutional scrutiny just popped out at me. We have a Supreme Court that regularly ignores the Constitution, so I don't buy this argument that it wouldn't pass constitutional scrutiny. Listen to episode 105, The Truth About June 2020, if you want to get a taste of the Supreme Court's corruption. Anyway, the DOJ disapproved of the Logan Act idea. The probe was supposed to be about Russian collusion. The Bureau could have closed the case and opened a new one on the Logan Act if it indeed had sufficient evidence, but it never opened such an investigation as noted in the DOJ motion to dismiss Flynn's case. Then we had information about Flynn's calls with Kislyak getting leaked to a Washington Post reporter who said there was a discussion at the paper about what to do with the information, as it would have been expected of Flynn, given his position, to talk to Kislyak. In the end, the paper ran a column on January 12th speculating that Flynn may have violated the Logan Act if he discussed fresh sanctions imposed on Russia during the calls. Of course they ran the story. I can't imagine who might have leaked the information and who might have suggested that the story be published. See, Obama had imposed sanctions on Russian entities, including its intelligence services, on December 29, 2016. At the same time, he had expelled 35 Russian intelligence officers. So the FBI interviews of Flynn began. As you probably know from watching police shows and movies, agents regularly warn interviewees that lying to the federal officials is a crime. Before the Flynn interview, however, McCabe's special counsel instructs mistress Lisa Page emailed another FBI lawyer asking how the warning should be given and whether there was a way, quote, to just casually slip it in, end quote. In the end, the agents never gave Flynn any such warning. Nothing to see here. FBI officials agreed that the agents wouldn't show Flynn the transcripts of the calls in question. If he said something that diverted from them, they would ask again, slipping in some words from the transcript. If that didn't jog his memory, they were not to confront him about it. On the day of the interview, then-FBI head of counterintelligence, a guy named Bill Priestap, wrote a note saying he told other officials to rethink the approach. The note read in part, quote, What's our goal? Truth? admission, or to get him to lie so we can prosecute him or get him fired. We regularly show subjects evidence, end quote. Apparently, his concerns were ignored. On the day of the interview, McCabe spoke with Flynn on the phone to ask for the interview. McCabe said he told Flynn he wanted the interview done as quickly, as quietly, and discreetly as possible. If Flynn wanted anybody to sit in, such as one of the White House lawyers, the DOJ would have to get involved, McCabe told him. According to Mark Ruskin, a 27-year vet of the FBI and an Epoch Times contributor, that was egregious behavior akin to discouraging a subject of the investigation of having a lawyer present for an interview. In case you're wondering, the FBI interview of a president's national security advisor is a big deal. Normally, it would warrant a back and forth between the White House and the Bureau of the, on the scope, the content, the purpose, and other parameters. Most likely, multiple White House lawyers would sit in. Comey, however, said in a public forum that he just sent the agents in, taking advantage of the fact that it was early enough, only four days after the inauguration, meaning it's early enough that the Trump team wouldn't know any better to be suspicious. According to Yates, Comey didn't consult the DOJ about his intentions to interview Flynn, even though the department would usually have involved in such a decision. After the interview, in which Strzok and another agent questioned Flynn extensively about his conversations with Kislyak, Comey said that Flynn denied talking to the ambassador about the sanctions imposed by Obama on Russia, 
but the agent's notes indicate that Flynn denied it at first. He seemed unsure when the agents asked again. The agents came back with the impression, quote, that Flynn was not lying or did not think he was lying, end quote. This according to Strzok's notes. Comey testified that he thought there was an argument to be made that Flynn lied, so Comey just can't get his story straight. Here's the thing. Flynn knew they knew. According to McCabe, Flynn expressed awareness before the interview that the FBI already knew exactly what was said on those calls. According to McCabe's notes from that day, Flynn said, quote, you listen to everything they say, end quote. In other words, Flynn is not an idiot. He knows that the intelligence community is listening to everything the Russian ambassador says. The FBI interview summary, Form 302, is required to be completed within five days of an interview. Flynn's, however, took more than two weeks. Suffice it to say, Strzok played a little fast and loose with the 302 report, not being completely honest. Sidney Powell later said she found a witness who saw an earlier draft and that it said, quote, that Flynn was honest with the agents and did not lie, end quote. We'll have more on the 302 in a minute. It is common that when the FBI has questions after an interview about the candor of the subject, it would question the person again, but in this case, the FBI showed no interest in doing so, leaving one to believe that the FBI did not think Flynn was lying. Now comes the infamous Comey-Trump confrontation, memorialized by Comey in a personal memo. Basically, it said that Trump told him in private in February of 2017 that he hoped Comey would, quote, let Flynn go, end quote. Now, this is important because the leaking of the content of that and other memos to the media served as the catalyst for then-Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein to appoint former FBI head Robert Mueller as a special counsel to take over the Crossfire Hurricane probe. Remember, then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions had recused himself from the whole Russia collusion episode, leaving Rod in charge. So now the Kislyak angle does not seem to be working, so the investigation has to take on a new angle. Since Flynn's consulting firm did some work with the Turkish businessman, Flynn was informed that he needed to file some paperwork under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. He hired a law firm named Covington & Burling to do the paperwork. Side note, guess who was made a partner at Covington a year before the Flynn-Muller fiasco started? None other than the corrupt contempt of Congress, former Attorney General Obama wingman himself, Eric Holder. Remember that as the story unfolds. It explains a lot. So as the Mueller investigation progressed, they asked Covington for Flynn's filings. The lawyers delayed telling Flynn for several weeks about the request because they had a problem. A conflict of interest. Since Flynn would point the finger at them for any paperwork problems, they would want to point the finger at him. Well, bar rules say that if a conflict of interest arises, the lawyers must withdraw. The Covington lawyers on several occasions expressed concern that Mueller may target them with a crime fraud order, a measure that allows prosecutors to break through the attorney-client privilege if they get a judge to agree that the client was conferring with lawyers to further a crime or some misconduct. The lawyers were aware Mueller's team had already used the order against Trump's campaign manager, Paul Manafort. So the plot starts to thicken at this point because the crime fraud order would cause bad publicity for Covington. But if they could lead Flynn into a plea bargain deal, that would allow the firm to avoid it. Covington only asked Flynn for consent with this conflict of interest in writing in late November of 2017. 
This is after Flynn had already been through two days of interviews with the prosecutors. According to Powell, the consent request sent via email cited the wrong bar rules for handling of conflicts. The correct rule, quote, creates a lower threshold at which a lawyer must bow out, end quote. The Covington lawyers repeatedly told the prosecutors that they didn't think Flynn was guilty of a felony. They were also told that the FBI agent saw no indication of deception on Flynn's part and had the impression at the interview that he wasn't lying or didn't think he was lying. But the lawyer still convinced Flynn that he should plead guilty to the felony charge. According to Flynn's declaration, the Covington lawyers told him that if he didn't plead, the prosecutors would charge his son with his own foreign agent registration violation because the son worked for Flynn's firm and was involved in the Turkey Project. If he did not plead, however, his son, quote, would be left in peace, end quote. That according to Flynn. So now we're back to the 302 reports again. The prosecutors conveniently refused to share the report with Flynn until shortly before he agreed to plead. Also, they only shared the final version of the report, which was significantly different from the previous drafts in which the agents found Flynn to be credible and truthful. So the guy is pleading guilty to something that not even the FBI thought he did. Shortly before Flynn signed his plea agreement, the prosecutors disclosed to his lawyers that one of the agents who interviewed him, Struck, was being investigated by the Inspector General for potential misconduct. They also disclosed that the agent expressed in electronic communications, quote, a preference for one of the candidates for president, end quote. Struck not only voiced preference for Clinton, but he cursed at and repeatedly derided Trump. In one 2016 text, he argued that the FBI needed to take action akin to an insurance policy in case Trump won. Flynn said the Covington lawyers never told him that the FBI agents did not think he lied. Even when he asked specifically about the agent's impressions, the lawyers didn't disclose the information and instead told him that the agents stood by their statement. Flynn, explaining why he had signed the police, said, I then understood them to be telling me that the FBI agents believed that I had lied. As part of the plea, known as the Statement of Offense, Flynn affirmed that his firm's FARA papers contained three false statements and one omission. Yet all four points were inaccurate. Powell put it this way, quote, the prosecutors concocted the alleged false statements by their own misrepresentations, deceit, and omissions. She continued to argue that the FARA papers were, quote, substantially correct, and any deficiencies were the fault of Covington and his lawyers knew it. In an internal email three days before Flynn signed his plea, one of the Covington lawyers pointed out that some of the false statements attributed to Flynn in the statement of offense regarding the FARA filings were, quote, contradicted by the caveats or qualifications in the filing, end quote. It seems the lawyers failed to correct the issue, since the statement of offense remained inaccurate. According to Powell, they also never informed Flynn of the issue. Flynn entered his plea on December 1, 2017. Shortly after, the judge who accepted the plea, Rudolph Contreras, recused himself from the case. The apparent but undisclosed reason was likely his personal relationship with Peter Strzok. This guy never goes away. Is there a more incestuous place on planet Earth than Washington, D.C.? I mean, you've got a judge and you've got Strzok. You've got Eric Holder. You've got Flynn bringing his son into the family business. There's more to come on the nepotism front. During a December 18, 2018 sentencing hearing, 
the new judge, Emmett Sullivan, questioned the prosecutors about whether they considered charging Flynn with treason. Quote, Arguably, you sold out your country, he told Flynn, saying that he acted as an agent of Turkey while in the White House. That was wrong on multiple levels. Not only does treason not apply to unregistered lobbying, but the Turkey job had virtually nothing to do with American interests. It was preparing a plan to lobby for the extradition of a cleric who lived in exile in the United States. Most importantly, Flynn closed his firm shortly after the election to comply with Trump's promise of no lobbyists in his administration. Sullivan corrected himself later in the hearing, but many media outlets still put his original remarks in headlines. More to come from biased Judge Sullivan. Federal rules of criminal procedure state in Rule 11 that, quote, before entering judgment on a guilty plea, the court must determine that there is factual basis for the plea, end quote. As such, Sullivan was required to check that Flynn's alleged lies to the FBI were material, meaning relevant enough to potentially affect an FBI investigation. But the judge acknowledged during the sentencing hearing that he hadn't done so, quote, it probably won't surprise you that I have many, many, many more questions, such as, you know, how the government's investigation was impeded. What was the material impact of the criminality? Things like that, end quote. He said this at the conclusion of the hearing. There's no indication that Sullivan has asked those questions since. Not only could Sullivan not have accepted Flynn's plea before determining materiality, there's evidence he was in fact required to refuse it. Rule 11 requires the court to, quote, determine that the plea is voluntary and did not result from force, threats, or promises other than promises in the plea agreement, end quote. In Flynn's case, there actually was a threat and a promise left out of the deal, the unofficial understanding that his son was unlikely to be charged if Flynn cooperated. Before the sentencing hearing, the Covington lawyers told Flynn to stay on the path and to refuse if Sullivan offered him to take back his plea. Flynn said in a, his court declaration, quote, If the judge offers you a chance to withdraw your plea, he has given you a rope to hang yourself. Don't do it, the lawyers told him. Flynn said the lawyers only prepared him for a simple hearing and not for the extended questioning Sullivan engaged in. Quote, I was not prepared for this court's plea colloquy, much less to decide on the spot whether I should withdraw my plea, consult with independent counsel, or continue to follow my existing lawyer's advice, he said. In the end, he affirmed his plea during the hearing. File this under, don't piss off the corrupt prosecutors. Flynn was expected to testify against his partner in 2019, that is his partner in the consulting firm. But when the moment was to come, prosecutors asked him to say that he signed the fire papers, knowing that there were lies in them. Now, Flynn, who had already fired Covington and hired Powell at this point, refused to go along. Flynn's refusal to say what the prosecutors wanted angered Brandon Van Grack, the head of the DOJ's FARA unit. Shortly after, prosecutors tried to label Flynn as a co-conspirator in his partner's case, and to put Flynn's son on the list of witnesses for the prosecution. According to Powell, this was retaliation for Flynn's refusal to lie. Starting in August, Powell started to bombard the prosecutors with demands for exculpatory evidence she was convinced the DOJ possessed. That is just a fancy word that means evidence favorable to the defendant. In other words, evidence that might exonerate Flynn. But the prosecutors repeatedly claimed the government already provided all it had and had no more. The main issue was Powell noted that the DOJ had a very narrow view of what exculpatory was. Quote, 
If something appears on its face to be favorable to the defense, the government will claim it was said with a wink and a nod, and therefore it showed the defendant's guilt after all, end quote. This she complained in an August 30th, 2019 filing. As it later turned out, the FBI was sitting on a number of documents favorable to the defense. When Flynn finally obtained the handwritten notes of Strzok and the other agent from his interview, it turned out they didn't quite match the final 302 report. For instance, the 302 said that Flynn remembered making four to five phone calls to Kislyak on December 29, 2016. Both sets of notes indicate that Flynn didn't remember that. Also, the 302 report says that Flynn denied that Kislyak got back to him with the Russian response a few days later. There's no mention of a Russian response in the notes. These same handwritten notes from fired and disgraced former FBI agent Peter Strzok show that Obama himself directed key aspects of the campaign to target Flynn during a January 5, 2017 meeting in the Oval Office. Since his sentencing hearing, Flynn was expected to receive a light sentence, possibly probation. In January 2020, however, the prosecutors ind indicated that Flynn should be treated more harshly because he reneged on his promise to cooperate in the case against his partner. This is when Powell had had enough, and she had Flynn ask the court to withdraw his plea. In April, Covington told Flynn they found thousands more documents related to his case that they failed to give to Powell due to, quote, an unintentional miscommunication involving the firm's information technology personnel, end quote. Now, don't forget who runs Covington. It's Eric Holder. I can't imagine the miscommunication was purposeful, can you? On May 7, 2020, once the FBI's malfeasance was uncovered, the Justice Department moved to dismiss the case against Michael Flynn. You would think the story would end there, wouldn't you? Not so fast. Judge Sullivan rejected the DOJ's request, instead calling on an outside lawyer to make arguments against the DOJ's move to drop the case. Imagine that. The prosecutor drops the case and the judge says, nope, you must move forward with the prosecution. I'm a little confused here because there is no prosecution if the prosecution refuses to prosecute. Sullivan should have been impeached on the spot. On May 19th, Sullivan issued a scheduling order that set an oral argument for July 16th when third parties invited by the judge would get a chance to voice their opinions. As such, the judge set to prolong the case for another two months. Meanwhile, Flynn sent a petition to the District of Columbia Appeals Court asking it to order Sullivan to accept the case dismissal. In a rare move, the appeals courts ordered Sullivan to respond to Flynn's petition within 10 days. In an another unusual turn of events, Sullivan hired highly connected D.C. attorney Beth Wilkinson to respond to the appeals court on his behalf. Wilkinson has in the past represented major corporations like Pfizer, Philip Morris, Microsoft, as well as Hillary Clinton's aides during the FBI investigation of her illegal email server. She also assisted then-Supreme Court nominee Brent Kavanaugh in preparing his 2018 defense against sexual assault allegations. Oh, and in the latest evidence of D.C. incestuous nature, Wilkinson is married to CNN analyst David Gregory, the former host of NBC's Meet the Press. Then, the United States Court of Appeals for District of Columbia ordered Judge Emmett Sullivan to grant the Justice Department's request to dismiss the case against Flynn. The appeals court noted that, quote, the government's motion 
includes an extensive discussion of newly discovered evidence casting Flynn's guilt into doubt. Decisions to dismiss pending criminal charges, no less than decisions to initiate charges and to identify which charges to bring, lie squarely within prosecutorial discretion, end quote. So now you know the truth about the prosecution of Michael Flynn, that if you piss off the wrong National Democrat, your life will be ruined. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.